Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. A few days before my interview with Ron Suarez, my student Daniel Garrett comes over for a weekly meeting. He has with him a unique chessboard made of wood and divided into four quadrants that attach to one another with magnets. I bought it from Ron, he says, adding that he has been in Ron's ear about selling it to him for a while, finally making a very polite and substantial offer for the board, to which Ron agreed. The board is beautiful. The light squares are a very pale white, and the dark are a very mellow shade of blue. It's a rare find. Daniel thinks the board, made in this way by this particular small Eastern European company, number perhaps only in the double digits. I fold up my own wooden board, which was custom made by a woodworker in rural western Illinois, also at the order and direction of Ron, to make room for Daniel's newest purchase. The humor of the situation is not lost on either of us. There probably isn't a single serious chess player in central Illinois who hasn't purchased a piece of equipment from Ron at at least some point, and that's not an exaggeration. Ron isn't a dealer, per se. He's a collector. And as his collection regularly grows beyond the storage space he has allotted for it, he passes it on. Ron and his equipment have become somewhat of a legend at the Monday Night Peoria Chess Club. It seems every week he has a different, exquisite wooden set to play on. And often, part of the fun of showing up at club is seeing what new gear Ron has to roll out. I've always wanted to sit down and ask him about it. Now, I finally got my chance. Okay, so I'm here with Ron Suarez, um, who I'm going to let introduce himself. Hi. Yeah, so I'm Ron Suarez. I'm an optometrist. I live in Peoria, Illinois. And I've been playing chess uh, probably since about 1988 when my, my dog was first born. One thing that I guess is significant about me is that I've uh, acquired a lot of chess equipment, <laughs> specifically sets and boards, and I've also gotten some really good knowledge over the last, probably last nine or ten years, uh, about this equipment. Yeah, I, I would say um, it's hard to run into a Peoria chess player who doesn't have like a former piece of Ron's chess equipment. Is that fair <laughs> to say or not yeah, fair? Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh-huh. I had I had Daniel Garrett come over like a week ago or so, mm-hmm. and he showed me this brand new chessboard that apparently he had been on a campaign with you, you know, speaking to you, trying to lobby you to sell him this chessboard. Right. So um, I guess it's a specialized magnetic type piece. Right. Well, Do you know the one I'm? It's a fellow from Slovenia. Okay. And um, he's just affectionately known as Jonas um, to those who know, and he. Uh, actually designed a number of chess sets, and he became an authority on a specific type of set that came from the uh, 1950 Olympiad in Dubrovnik. Uh, hence, the, the set has been called the Dubrovnik set. And uh, Jonas is quite a personality in Slovenia. I, I guess he's a television uh, personality as well as, I don't know if he's in movies or that, but he's done quite a bit. So he's like a film star plus like yes. black market chess set. Purveyor. Yeah, well, okay. he designed some sets, and then there's another uh, manufacturer, a fellow and his brother and their retired father that make chess sets, and it sounds pretty small time when you say that just the three of them, but um, they have the rights by the originator of the set, and so they've been the Dubrovnik making, set. Yes, they've okay. been making really nice quality uh, Dubrovnik sets out of European walnut and European maple. Hmm. Yeah, which is a really nice wood. 
you so, referred to him as Jonas for those in the know. So is this like yeah. you have to know a guy who knows yeah, a guy I, who has like an in type? Well, thing? I can't remember his full name. <laughs> okay, because it's uh, it's Slovenian and mm. you know has it's it's not as bad as a Czechoslovakian name or something, but it's mm. it's a but his name is Jonas and he has a site called the Best Chessman Ever, and uh, so if you ever want to look it up, you can look mm. up Best Chessman Ever, and that's that's Jonas. Anyway, he. Um, <clears throat> he has, you know, had a lot of these sets, um, became an authority on them, and there are a few discussion sites, uh, forums. Uh, chess.com has a books and equipment uh, chess forum, hmm. and uh, that's where a lot of us have, you know, hang out, hang and out, and trend, transfer take information. pictures of sets and share them, and <laughs> therefore lure the rest of us into buying them. So I had a lot more sets than I did 10 years ago, for instance, thanks to that place. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, I, as I said, it's hard to run into a pure chess player who doesn't have a chess set from you. I've got one. When you came into my basement here to record, you know, the first thing you saw was a chess set that I got off of you. Right, yeah. <laughs> a folding wood one, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Set and board, that's right. Yeah. Um, so you have such a tremendous collection. Um, I'm curious, you know, what got you started? What, you know, I... I, I like collecting stuff when, especially, you know, when I was younger, I had a baseball card collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it feels like there's like something that gets you into it. For me, it was going to a, base, a baseball game. I went yeah. to a break, my first ever Atlanta Braves game. Okay. And I got a signed card. Uh, I remember it was from catcher Kelly Mann, who I, um, such an obscure reference, but anyway, um, so what got you into it? You know, what was like the motivating, the spurring, I'm going to be a collector. I want to collect all these cool chess sets. Where did it all begin? Okay. Well, I don't, I'm a reluctant collector. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> yeah. My motivation is always having something nice to play chess with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started playing chess in a small town and in order to have people to play with, I started a chess club because you know, there was no one to play with. Mm-hmm. So uh, then I wanted a nicer set because plastic was plastic. And uh, I bought a wood set in conjunction with a, a local Peoria resident, even though I wasn't living in Peoria at the time, Bill Naff. Mm-hmm. We both bought some uh, ebony chess sets back in 1990. And uh, within a year or two, that set cracked, developed cracks. Mm-hmm. So then I became a fan of a different wood. And I just thought it was much nicer, and I still feel it's much nicer to play with wood chess pieces than plastic ones. There are some nice plastic chess pieces, but... But I've seen a few in your collection, if I remember. Yes, I do have some nicer plastic sets as well, all different ones. But if you look at all the better games, they're all played with wooden chess sets, you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elite games, all your tournament games, uh, with the top boards are all usually wooden chess sets. Yeah, I was just watching the uh, Norway Altabox tournament um, this mm-hmm. morning, and it was the nice, you know, the, the wood um, DGT relay. Right. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, so it's really nice. It's very aesthetic playing with wood. Mm. And so in the early 90s, I bought uh, from United States Chess Sales that they still ran their own sales at that time. I bought a wooden set, which it was a Druki set, which mm. is uh, rosewood for the dark pieces because the ebony had cracked. And I wanted something that wouldn't crack. And then um, I was actually was introduced in 1998. Here in Peoria, we hosted the elementary uh, United States Championships. It was the second to last year that private groups actually ran the tournament. Now, 
United States Chess runs those tournaments, which you you yourself right. are involved in. It's interesting. In '98, I was a volunteer at that event. Okay. Yeah, like a yeah. scholastic. You know, I was in high school, so I was like a scholastic. Yes, volunteer. and in fact, uh, Hikaru Nakamura, I think, was the either the fourth or fifth grade. Really? Uh, yes, champion. Oh, wow. Because I remember walking through the playing hall, which was the Peoria Civic Center, mm-hmm. and he was on board one. Mm-hmm. And he was this, you know, young, either fourth, maybe fifth grade, mm-hmm. uh, fourth or fifth grade kid sitting on this table in front of all the others, you know, on board one of his section. Right. And uh, that was Hikaru Nakamura. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was the uh, liaison between the United States Chess Federation bookstore and the hotel. Okay. So I would kind of run interference if they needed something and stuff like that as a volunteer. And then I also uh, had, well, Bruce Pendolfini and Josh Waits came in to do signatures. I kind of handled them, stuff like that. Nice. But uh, because of that, the bookstore, a uh, person who ran the bookstore said, well, if you want something nice, I'll give you a great discount since you helped us. And uh, in the fall, um, this board came up for sale through them that a fellow by the name of Frank Camarada, uh, had started selling, and he had just started this company called the House of Staunton. Oh, yeah. And, very, very famous or a well-known company. Right. And and this, this was in his inception. It's probably second or third year of being in existence. And this was 1998? 1998. Okay. So it was in the fall of 1998 after the tournament was in the spring. But I called and said, boy, if I could get this board in Rosewood instead of Walnut, I'm a big fan of Rosewood. <laughs> you know? And she said, well... Let me give you this guy's phone number. And so she gave me Frank Camarada's phone number mm-hmm. and uh, became a, a good friendship uh, with Frank. And he sold me the board and he said, well, now you need a set. So I bought his collector series set to go on that board. And, and he said, well, now you need something to play with. <laughs> and actually the, the set that I sold you in 2004 okay. is a set that Frank sold me, the player series set. Right. Now um, that's not that one. That's the other one, right? It's the, no, it's this one. It's, it's that exact one. Oh, it's wow. that exact okay. one. All right. It's a place. I have two set. that I got from you, actually. Right. Yes. Right. But this, well, it may not be, this, this might be the lesser expensive classic series. Okay. But it was a player series set. And he said, mm-hmm. now you need something to take to tournaments. So he sold me the player series. And then it kept going from there. And I had a, a fellow a local carpenter make the board, a folding board. And right, which you end up getting. Yeah, yeah. This one, the, it's a wood board. Yes. So you, you think when you think of wood board, you think flat, right? right? Just a square and it's flat. But this one you had specially made mm-hmm. so that it's actually cut down the middle and folds in half. Right. It's a folding uh, wooden board. Mm. The dark squares are wangy. The light squares are curly maple. I remember. <laughs> and then the. Uh, Do you remember the wood of all of your sets? So if I were to much. like yeah. visit your. Yeah, the yeah. set collection, you could point to the set yeah, and tell me the, the yeah. wood type. It's one of those things. Okay. You know, but at any rate, so we, you know, we proceeded and I, uh, you got that set and board when I was doing my 2004 purge. Uh, so what, yeah, sets. so what, so let's, let's, let's talk about that. I'm curious about that. What, when I arrived, it was a set purge, but it also looked like a chess book purge. Yes. I did okay. get rid of um, about 400 chess books at the time. Wow, I don't know if I own 400 chess books. No, no. But that was back in the days of Chess Digest when I started playing. Chess Digest was still going. Ken Smith was alive. Mm-hmm. And there was a film by the name of Don Oswald who ran the chess house out of Kansas City. Okay. And, um, of course, there was the United States Chess uh, Federation book mm-hmm. sales. And so I acquired a lot of books. But uh, Ken Smith was really good. You buy so many books, he would send you the ones for free. Hmm. And you could pick out of a selection of free books. So I acquired 
quite a number of books. <laughs> okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I ended up selling those to Colin Kitson out of mm. Bloomington Normal, and he had them in his library so okay. for his chess club. But at any rate, um, that's kind of where we're at on that. But I always would get, uh, get equipment, sets particularly, and then boards mm. uh, for playing. I wanted to be playing. And first and foremost, they were always for playing, mm. not necessarily for collecting. Now, there are conservatively maybe three or four mm. collectors in the country that I know one fellow says board and piece collectors. Oh yeah. Okay. And even and clocks, they, they actually clocks collect too. antique clocks, these old mm. analog clocks. I don't own an analog clock because everything I do is for play. Right. Okay. But they sell, so you don't have any like relics sitting around. No, your entire collection is for use. Yes, exactly. There are yeah. some really nice sets and you know that for that, but mm. uh, yeah, for use. And some of these fellows are true collectors They've got well over 150 sets, sets mm. and uh, their sets are for collection purposes. Not for playing. No, no. And understand, if in 1890, or 1849, I'm sorry, I got my numbers mixed up, 1849, uh, that's when Jake's uh, came out with the Staunton design chess set, and they had it uh, certified, mm. you know, so that no one else could steal it. Now, Jake's was actually the cousin of a fellow by the name of Nathaniel Cook. And Nathaniel Cook was friends with Staunton, Howard Staunton. And so they came up with this design set so that the, the pieces would be recognizable. The biggest problem they had before this is they would go play at a local, like the French Regency set, and it was very difficult to tell the pieces. Mm. You know, what is the king, what is the queen? Mm. And if you look at some of those sets, it's hard to tell. Mm. You see. And so Nathaniel Cook came up with He's wanted the rook to look like a castle, and the knight was a horse, and for the horse he used the Elgin uh, sets that a fellow from England brought from Rome, mm -hmm. uh, these statues of horses back in the early 1800s, hmm. stuff like that. And, of course, the bishop was uh, the mitre of a, of a Catholic bishop, if you will. Right. And, of course, the king and the queen. Queen had a coronet, the king had the crown, the little cross crown. Right. And so he and the pawns, by the way, were balls. There was hmm. balls on pedestals. That's hmm. what the pawns were designed. I was going to ask if they were like a, you know, I, when I always see the, the Staunton type pawn, for uh -huh. some reason, uh, I'm called to mind of like almost a, a foot soldier, you know, kind of like this helmet, right? Mm -hmm. But no, it's not. It's yeah, but it was designed as a ball, which mm -hmm. is on the little pedestal. Hmm. which is a pawn. Was there any particular logic or reasoning behind that? The only logic was that you would easily be able to differentiate. You knew it was a pawn. You knew, yeah. The minute you looked at it, that's a pawn. Right. And the bishop, you know, with the pointed miter, hmm. and the miter cut was also definitive of that. It's interesting because, that you know, that pawn, it's like almost iconic now. You yes. know what I mean? I mean, you see it in non-chess oh, yeah. parts of life, and sure. you recognize it instantly as, as a pawn. Right. You know. And people refer to themselves as being pawns. Pawns in a game. In a derogatory, yeah. in derogatory way. Like, oh, you know, I'm just a pawn in here, you know, so, right. and that's fine. But that's where the original 1849 Jake's uh, series came from. Hmm. And these sets were being made in England, in London, and he had artisans making these sets. And hmm. it's interesting because as... Out of what type of wood? <laughs> um, well, for Blackwood, they used an ebony, okay. and for uh, the Whitewood, they used a, a European boxwood, okay. which is different than the I knew you wood. would know, that's why I yes. yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so most of them were made of ebony for the dark pieces, and then a European boxwood for the white pieces. 
And as the years would go by, and I'm not talking a lot of years, like five or six years, a different carver would come in and the design of the, the knight, for instance, would change a little bit. Hmm. Or even the, the kings, you would see the, the crown of the king would be a little more rounded or a little less rounded. And hmm. So there would be differences in the design as years went by. <clears throat> so collectors can know what set I have, you know, based on the year period, based right. on the carvers. And once again, we go back to Frank Camarada, and Frank started at the House of Staunton, and he was a very avid antique chess set collector. Okay. In fact, he was so avid that he would fly, once a year, he would fly over to Europe or India, mm. where they would have their annual meeting of, of antique chess collectors. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's pretty sure. serious. Yeah, pretty I mean, bad. that's like a, that's a step up here. <laughs> yeah, that's now, Frank, odd. Frank was a very interesting fellow. He's an international master. Okay. An international arbiter. Mm. And um, he was also on the, uh, you know, USCF board of directors. Mm. <laughs> so, Frank has done quite a bit in chess. Mm. And so, in the 90s, he was, you know, getting into his late 50s. And he was retiring. He was a rocket scientist at NASA. Mm. He was in administration. And so, he started... Because there were no chess sets. He told me this. He said there were no decent sets to play with. So that's when he went over to India, as well over 95% of all the chess sets made are made in India. Hmm. He went I there didn't know that. and found some of the better artisans, uh, manufacturers, and came up with some pretty solid contracts. The problem with a lot of the Indian manufacturers is that they're not the most moral or ethical of manufacturers. But so Frank came up with these pretty solid contracts that held him to it as far as quality, hmm. design, um, and things of that nature. And he made it so that the design couldn't be stolen by others so easily. Hmm. It still was, but not easily. Hmm. And we have to hand it to Frank because Frank really came up with this. And he came up with what they called a codex, which is, what is this set? This is the 1849 set. Hmm. And then Frank started naming the sets by one of the major grandmasters of the time. For instance, there's a Marshall series set, okay. which you know came at about the turn of the century, 1900, early 1900s, when Marshall was one of the prominent chess grandmasters or and chess masters. For these series, like for example, the Marshall set, mm -hmm. um, when he would create a series or create a codex for the series, right? Um, I assume there was like a specific. Some, some sort of alteration to the standard Staunton design, right, for right. that set. But, well, that was the design that Jakes was producing at that time. Okay. So in 1849... Oh, okay. Yes. So he was replicating. <clears throat> right. So whatever Jakes was producing, whatever carver they had, in let's say at the turn of the century. Right. He and, was replicating right. that in the, in the Marshall same. set. Right. And he would, he would identify the antique sets made then, too. Like, this is an 1849 set. They still call that the 1849 set. Mm. But then there was the Cook series set, mm. where the knight has more of a downturn snout and, you know, things of that nature. So you'll see the Cook series sets uh, that Frank has, House of Staunton, um, and that knight is specific to that era of when so the set was made. Let me ask, would you, if you were to see <clears throat> two sets next to one another, Sure. Would you be able to tell the difference based strictly on the nose of the knight? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Okay. See, I, me, I, I think someone someone who plays um, with just pretty much any set, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we don't notice that, that uh -huh. detail, right? You know, right. we just say, oh, it's a knight, as opposed to, ah, but this one has a... Yeah, this one is a downturn snout, this is a Cook series, or hmm. this is a Marshall series, hmm. uh, or, or 
whatever. And of course, there were other companies. There were another English company was called Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S. Mm. And Ayers had a, sets, a, a series of sets that they produced in competition to Jake's. Mm. So there were slight diff- variations in the design. And Ayers are known as a lesser expensive uh, set at the time. Uh, but then, you know, there's... And then, by the 1900s, uh, the last century, then you would find specific set designs made for the Olympiad or specific events. Right. In the early 1910s. The one that, the one that I remember, this was not quite that old, but the right. one I remember was the the the, um, the one for the Fischer-Spassky match. Uh, that is the, oh, the 1950 Dubrovnik. Right, okay. Okay. Now, the original Dubrovnik was designed for that Olympiad, okay. and that's the set that they used for the 1992 match. Oh, okay. Okay. The one that the 19- got uh, Fisher and some hot water. Right. The 1972 um, set was a specific Jake's design that mm-hmm. they were making at that time. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's called the Bobby Fisher uh, set. And you see Hussestat and a number of other companies saw the Fisher Spassing commemorative uh, chess mm-hmm. sets. And that is the Jake's design of about 1960, late 60s, early 70s. The match was in 1972, but that was that era. Mm-hmm of the chess set designed by Jake's. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. And of course, then in 92, uh, Bobby Fischer had, when he was in uh, Yugoslavia, right. slash Slovenia, Croatia, he bought one a set. He didn't buy the original 1950 design set, but he bought like a 1970 design variation of that Dubrovnik set. Okay. And that's the set you see pictured with Bobby on Life Magazine, on the Bobby Fischer teaches chess, on okay. his 60-minute interview. You wow. see him playing with this young guy, and that set is a Dubrovnik set that was designed in the 1970s. Hmm. Okay? And that's... It, they have by, no was classes. that a, by Jake's or... No, no, no. no that, okay. was, that was a set made locally for okay. that like <clears throat> in the... Where exactly? Locally where? In, well, what is now uh, Slovenia. Okay. It was Yugoslavia slash Croatia slash... Right. Uh, Slovenia right now. And that's why this guy in Slovenia, his name is Gregor Novak, and uh, he... Not and, Jonas. No, not Jonas. Okay. Jonas doesn't live too far for Gregor. Okay. <laughs> and Jonas designed his own chess sets, which were very modern looking. Oh. But he became an expert in the products. Well, then Gregor and his brother, they have a wood turning business, and their major business is turning fountain pens for the European market. Hmm. Wood. And then they also make chess sets. And their chess sets, they're not cheap, but it's just Gregor and his brother. And then the father's retired, comes in part-time and does the finish work. He stains the pieces. He does the lacquering and the shellacking and the sanding down, puts the felt on the, puts the weights in, mm. puts the felt on the bottom. But do you have is, some Gregor and brothers uh, set? I have. <laughs> you have one right here. Interesting that you say that. <clears throat> this is the, and what they've done is they've done some research. In 2010, I fought my, bought my first Dubrovnik set. So I'm just going to quickly describe uh, what I've got here. Sure. <clears throat> because our listeners can't see what, what you've given me. Right. Um, this is a, a very light colored wood. Um, what type of wood? That's European walnut. European walnut. And it's mm-hmm. and the piece itself, you can feel the weight in it. Yes. But the piece is light. It's, it's not, not as heavy. heavy as I would expect. No. And the, all the pieces have the exact same weight in them. Uh-huh. So, so. the king, right. Because I noticed that. Unlike some sets that I would play with, the king is comparable to the knight as far as it, it doesn't feel significantly right. heavy. And the pawn is the mm. same weight as the other two. Hmm. All the others. Yeah. 
Okay, so they have a slightly larger a slightly larger bottom. They feel a little more squat, right. I would say, than a right. less thin, more squat of a chest piece. And that's the hallmark of all the Dubrovnik sets, is mm -hmm. the bases are very bulky and thick, and they're very well, low center of gravity. Mm -hmm. So you can, and as, as you, if you look at videos of Bobby Fischer in 60 Minutes, the 60 Minute interview, mm -hmm. he's tossing the pieces around on the board. And in fact, the one is... It's I the think, center of gravity, right? Yeah. They're just, they're holding in place. And one is, it's easy to got the queen or the king, and he moves it, and it's almost, it, it looks like it doesn't look like it's going to top, but it's off-centered, and it wobbles a little bit and stands still. Hmm. And I'm not surprised, I, I believe the set that Bobby had was not weighted at all. And these have lightweights in them. Right. Okay. Yeah, they definitely do. But, uh, but just a really good balance. The reason I got the set was because of the playability. Sure. This set plays ex excellently. What do you, what in particular do you like about it? Is it the balance? Is it the, the balance? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a super, the set's got to look beautiful. As you can you know, tell our listeners, the sets don't look, oh my gosh, look at the intricacies right. of the beauty. Yeah, it's, the king is very simple. So yeah. so the king doesn't even have a cross on top. It's a, no. it's a ball. Well, that's, that's just typical Eastern European Soviet Union. Sure. where they didn't want any religious symbols. Right. So the bishops do not have mitres. Right. And in order to differentiate the bishop from the rest of the pieces, they put the finial, the little ball on top, they put as the color of the opposite color. Right. So the so white, the white bishop, the European walnut light-colored white bishop has a... Uh, and in this case, this set is a dyed European walnut. This is a brown oh. dye, which okay. is what Bobby had was a brown dyed set. Okay, the so they're European, both European walnut, white, and black. Right, the one set I have here, I do have a walnut set, but the European walnut or maple is a little more resilient of a wood than the mm. walnut. The walnut's a little more brittle and can chip more easily. Hmm. So hence, the set I, I carry with everywhere I go is the one that's a dyed European walnut, right. or maple, I'm sorry. So actually, if I can describe this, because this was one of my favorite things about purchasing a set from you way back in 2004, you said it was? Yes, I did? yes. Okay. Uh -huh. I'm glad you know that because I, I wouldn't have remembered the year. Oh, okay. Um, so, Ron, you, you have all of your sets very neatly packed in a case here. And even the one I have, you'll note, I still have the original yes, case. Yes, you, you do. To me. You do. So when I purchased the set from Ron, he gave me a, is that a hiking backpack? That's actually um, a bag that was designed for a folding board by a company called Legend Products. So that was specifically designed to hold a chess set? Yes, chess okay. set and a folding board that they made. However, I just bought the bag from okay. them. Okay. So I have a specialized bag uh -huh. for carrying the set, right. as well as two, I believe they're Rubbermaid containers. Those are Rubbermaid containers because they fit in the pockets of that bag. With foam um, mm -hmm. lining to protect yeah, the pieces. Yeah, foam protect the pieces. And I remember one of the things that you told me, so I'm just going to grab it. When, and I still do this to this day. Uh -huh. So one of the things that you told me when you gave me the set was you put the knights up against the edge of the foam to protect their ears. Yes. And you covered the... So I've got... I'm pulling out now a queen from this set. Do you know what exact set this was now that I hand you the piece? I believe this is the classic series. Okay. This is the lesser expensive of the two okay. sets. That yeah. So I like the other one better. So I have yes. it sort of stored because yeah. um, it's nicer and more fun to play with. Right. Um, but what I've done is, I, so I, I have here, I'll describe it for the listeners. I have a small piece of foam, maybe about two inches long, mm -hmm. fairly thick, yeah. with a rubber band that I place over the crown of the queen to protect it from chipping. Making it a little cap. Right. 
And this was all suggested to me by you back right. when I when I got the set. So you've got here, what is this that you're storing your Dubrovnik? This is the Gregor Brothers set? Yeah. Or do they have a the company Novak. name? Novak. It's called, it's pronounced Noi. It's spelled N-O-J. Okay. And the website is noj.si, which must okay. be Slovenian. Sure. Uh, so it's Noi. It's pronounced Noi. And hmm. I'm sure Novak is not pronounced Novak, <laughs> but that's right. okay. That's fine. And it's Gregor Novak. And this set, what I've, I've graduated to is I've gotten some Plano 3700 uh, tackle boxes. So this I, is a fish tackle box? Yes, this is a fish tackle okay, box. Okay, so what, what Ron has here is he's got a... Um, oh, I see on the, the bottom, there's yes. Noi on the felt, yes. N-O-J. Yes, he's got it embossed in the felt. So Ron's got the entire... Um, what is the name exact name of this set? This is... They called this the Dubrovnik too because okay. uh, originally it was the Dubrovnik, but then they made the original Dubrovnik 1950. Mm -hmm. So they reverted and called this one the two. So Ron's got the original Dubrovnik two or the Dubrovnik two, sorry, the Dubrovnik two, yeah, walnut set encased in a fish tackle box. Yeah, and what kind of padding clear, have you have you placed? There? This is a it's a, a pretty fibrous called new foam. I got okay. this at Joan Fabrics. You can also get it at Hobby Lobby or something like that. Sure. And this is one inch, and I just cut sections out. So you've got cut sections of new foam padding placed mm -hmm. inside the tackle box. Right. And then the wood pieces go on the padding to protect them from chipping, right. from... Yeah, and this is um, a clear, well, a translucent plastic, mm. clear plastic, um, just a flat. Mm. It's not a full tackle box. Right, it, it yeah. Designed, more, more of a case. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, as you can see, the whole set fits in here. It does, yeah. So what he's got is he has the rooks <clears throat> placed in one section, so the two rooks stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. I assume the king and queen each get their own section. Well, the king gets his own section. The queens are staggered because I get two queens ah, in set. So okay. as right. you can see, the queens stagger nicely in there. And is this four pawns per... Four pawns for a little unit. Sort of stacked on top of yeah, one another yeah. in, the, in the tech. This set is more durable, so it doesn't need the protection that the earlier Staunton sets did. The problem with the earlier Staunton sets that you have, mm. the, the crenellations, the little pointed parts on the queen's crown are pointed and sharp. Right. Yes, they are. And mm. you can just imagine those would easily chip. Right. If they were even knocked over, they yeah. might chip. Yeah. yeah. So in transport, um, I just put foam on them. Mm. And you know, just to protect them from chipping, and I've never had any chip in that. Yeah, as you can see. So yeah, that's how I have that. So there are basically two design sets that I'm personally interested in. The, for lack of a better term, the Jake's uh, reproductions or right changes, you know, which is the basics design that you see. And Frank Camerata has uh, also, you know, made a few of those mm. back in right around just after World War II. There was some Japanese-made sets. And they so Ron's, Ron's opening up another tackle box here. And this is a really beautiful red color, yes. uh, almost. I, this I is called a blood rosewood, okay. but it's really a padu wood. And this looks like it's been finished. It's got a very glossy yes. red finish. Uh-huh. Um, if I were to describe them you know, as, as a layman here, not knowing anything about the set, this looks a lot like my old plastic Druki set that I had. Mm-hmm. Is it based on that design? Yes, yes. Okay. Very similar. This is a, a Craftsman series, which the original Craftsman was made in Japan. Hmm. And they only made a few of them. And it was post-World War II. So they made those. But this is Frank Camerata's interpretation of that. Okay. And uh, called the Craftsman series. And as you can see, the, the thing about 
when Frank redesigns sets or has them made, mm. the weighting is exceptional. Right, I can see as that. As you can see. These are much heavier than yes, the Yes, much heavier. Too. And as you can see, when you pick up the pieces, you know this is nice. Right. And this is uh, good. The uh, Frank has you know, had the knights designed to his specifications, even though they are very much oh, wow. duplicates of them. Yeah. yeah. And those are very much prettier, much better looking than the Dubrovnik knights. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, <laughs> the Dubrovniks are my favorite to play with because of the playability, mm. as you can see. And Is it mainly the the base? The so you, you keep mentioning the playability of the Dubrovnik set. Is it the squat base or, yes, or what? I think like? so. Yeah. I think that's it. It just mm -hmm. plays really well. Mm -hmm. Now the set that I have. This is my right now my favorite Jake's copy Staunton design, mm -hmm. which was a Craftsman series by House of Staunton, um, and it's it's heavier. And this is I'm going to play a slower game with. You know what's interesting is we all notice the pieces when we're sitting down to play, right? But then when play begins. It's almost like the nerves when you start a competition. <laughs> once you start, once the, the ball is snapped or once the, the, the tip-off in a basketball game goes on, your nerves go away. Well, mm. after you start the game, after probably two or three moves, you quit looking at what the piece's details are and you just see the piece for what it is. Right. But That's then yeah. you can come back at the end of the game or after the game and realize, yes, this is really a nice set. This, yeah, yeah, it is. These the pods. knife that Frank Camarada uses in this set is almost identical to the knife that he's got on the Singfield Cup sets. If you watch the Singfield Cup mm. down in St. Louis, uh, House of Stoughton provides those sets, and they call them the Singfield Cup sets, and Frank has had design, those sets designed. So the detail I notice about the knife, for our listeners who can't see it here, yes. um, the the mane of the mm -hmm. knight, you know, the horse's mane, right, uh, has separations in it, almost notches, right. Oh, you know, typically we would see the knight the knight's mane is is fairly solid, yeah. with no gaps in between, mm -hmm. but here it's it's yeah it's notched, right. There's different segments that create the mane. And if you hold the piece up as you are and look at it, or if mm -hmm. you look at the photographs on the web pages, mm -hmm. you see the notches. But when you put the set down, we put the piece down to play. Those notches disappear. Right, it's just the knife. Yeah, <laughs> you're know, just moving a knife. You don't see them. Yeah. And you look down, it's like, what notches? I just see the wood. So that's, uh, but if you look at this knife and you look at the, the knights that you see in the Sinkfield Cup mm. or even the United States Chess Championship down, held down in St. Louis at the uh, St. Louis Chess Club, that's a very similar, almost identical knight. Okay. Um, that's, that's what I call the Camarada knight. Mm. Uh, no one else calls it that, but that's what I call it because that's Frank's distinctive uh, way he's had the sets made. And you said this is his interpretation of the sure. sets made in Japan, correct? Right. The cra original Craftsman series was more mm. standard looking like a, a Jake series set as far as the, the main of the night, for instance. Mm. But the one thing about the Craftsman series is look how stout and how thick the base of the king, the stem and the base of the king are. Right. That is more distinctive than the Craftsman series compared to the Jake's. Okay. Now, the Jakes have very broad bases, and they're very well-weighted as well. But the stem is a little thinner. Yeah, yeah, a little thinner. Hey, look, I knew something about a, about a set. Very <laughs> that's very good. So that's all. And understand, I just have these for playing ability, and that's why this, as you can see, picking up the pieces. Oh, yeah. You know, you're a master, uh, in federation and international master, national master, right? Mm -hmm, correct. I mean, you've played a lot of chess. Pick these pieces up. These are nice to play with. They are. Yeah, I would agree. And yeah. that's, that's why I have them. Uh, there are, uh, as I said, there's a, a fellow in Maryland, uh, Mike 
uh, Lajinsky, mm. and he's got he's got to have over two hundred sets. He's a true collector. Mm. And uh, so I'm gonna if I can interrupt your story, let's yeah. get back to the Mike Lajinsky story. Yeah, I want to yeah. come back to that. Yeah. But earlier, you know, you described yourself as a reluctant collector. Right. But I'm constantly amazed at. Um, like the equipment you have, and yeah. I, and here you know here's here's a story to sort of get where I'm going with this question. Okay, sure. yeah. my first ever um, tournament on the job for U.S. Chess was the 2018 Junior High School um, Chess Championships in Atlanta. Okay, and the person who I ran into, one of the first pers- people I spoke to um, on site in Atlanta, was the bookseller Shelby Lorman. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Now, keep in mind, we're in Atlanta. Shelby is from the East Coast, Pennsylvania, New he Jersey. He's from Rochester, New York. Okay. And he lives in California right now. Okay. All right. I knew he was originally from the East Coast, but, you know, all over the place, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're from Illinois. I'm in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. And within two minutes of talking to Shelby, he's showing me this brand new, I don't know, state-of-the-art silver metal chess clock or something. Uh-huh. Oh, and I see you're, you're, you're looking at your bag here like you're going to get it out. And I say, you know, I know a guy who collects chess stuff. He'd probably really be into that. And Shelby says, Ron Suarez? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, how did you, you know him too? So, so the, the point of the story that I'm telling here is, you know, I'm, I'm totally new in this position. I'm meeting someone I've never met before, and we're just talking about chess equipment for less than a minute. I mean, less than 60 seconds, uh-huh. and your name comes up. Wow. So you describe yourself as a reluctant collector. Uh-huh. And you, uh, remind me again, Mr. Lijinsky, is that right? Mike Lijinsky. Mike yes. Lijinsky, okay. Has 200 sets. In, in, your, in your collector's experience, uh-huh. ballpark figure, right. how many sets have you had? How many sets have I had? Yeah. Like, how many have cycled through the collection? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You had to ask the hard one. Because currently I own about a little, well, more like 38 or 39 sets. Okay. And you play on all of them, right? I use them all to play, yes. I should say, so just for our listeners, um, we both go to Curie Chess Club. You you go more frequently than I do. Right. But it it feels like every time I do go Mm -hmm. and you're there to play, you have a different set with yes, you. Yes, yeah. You're going to see a different set pretty much every time. Right. Um, I have cycled through probably 65, 70 sets. Okay. Okay, wooden sets. Right. I don't want to talk about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because what I've done, and when I say a reluctant collector, I'm always in search of the perfect set up, including the set, the board, and the clock. So what, <clears throat> what in your... In your view, what makes the perfect setup? Is it the way the colors interact with each other, right? Like the, yes. the square colors on the board with the colors of the wood, mm-hmm. with the colors of the clock? Is it an aesthetic thing? Yes. Is it more practical, like, you know, the, the weight and the movability of the piece? What is, so in Ron's eyes, if you could get, you say you're always in search of the perfect setup. Yeah, it's a package I'm looking for. Okay. Okay, I want the set to look very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also want it to handle very well. I want it to handle better than average. Hmm. So the balance, when you pick a piece up, you know you've picked a piece up. Hmm. And it's, it's well balanced. It moves flawlessly for you. And hmm. you can you know, place it down. Hmm. Um, and I want it to look nice. And I want the, uh, the colors of the pieces and the board to be complementary. Right. We don't want them identical. Otherwise, you'll lose usually the dark pieces onto the dark squares. Yes. Yeah. So you want them to have some contrast. 
Um, this, the clock, I want to, the clock is just very minimal as far as I'm concerned as function. You want it to be there to work and to, you know, not be distracting mm -hmm. as that. But, um, <clears throat> now the clock that I have here, this is the exact one that shall be pulled out in a yes. mm -hmm. So it's interesting that I, that I told that little story there. And you just happen to have that exact clock with me. Yes. Or with you. Yes. yes. Um, today, what what is the story? What makes this clock so um, noteworthy or um, well, Shelby sought um, after? I've been talking to Shelby for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. He bought this uh, American chess equipment from a fellow by the name of Dwayne Barber, who I'm sure you sure. know. Sure, yeah. And Dwayne was doing scholastic chess in California, Southern California, and he started the company to provide scholastic chess equipment. Mm. Okay, so, and also Dwayne is the one who originated uh, a plastic chess set called the Ultimate Chess Set, which mm. is very- Yeah, I'm familiar with that one, yeah, sure. Okay. I didn't so, know he, he, he designed yeah, that. that? Was a, yeah, that was a Dwayne Barber origination. Wow, okay. Yeah, he got uh, either, in, I think it was Thailand or, Thai, I think it was Taiwan or Thailand. Mm. He got a manufacturer to make those sets. Wow, yeah. the more you know, I feel like we're, yeah. we're having an educational yeah. moment here. Okay. So at any rate, uh, but Shelby decided he wanted to come up with a chess clock. And the probably the most ubiquitous clock in the United States was a Kronos. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, very... Nowadays, maybe it's that North American DGT, you know, the blue one with the white buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah the North American DGT is, is, is also very popular now. Mm -hmm. Because the Kronos was, well, it's a little pricier, but it was harder to get. The manufacturer was an engineer in California who actually, you can't communicate with him. <laughs> you won't answer the phone. There's no phone to answer. Um, and he doesn't put it, produce a lot of sets. Mm. You know, he'll sell them to the retailers, and that's it. This is all we have, mm. type of thing. At any rate, Shelby wanted to come up with a better, better clock, a better mousetrap, and he talked with the manufacturer, and they came up with a, a clock that looks very much like the Kronos. It does, yeah. So it looks to me like a little, not quite as long, the Kronos. Right. Um, and a little wider. Right. I think it's the same length, actually. Oh, it is. Oh, but maybe it's, it's because of the width. width. But, uh, but the, see, instead of being a single dis uh, column or single line display on the LCD, it's double. Right. So the display is taller. Okay. And they, they made this little shelf here. That, that could also be why it doesn't look as long, because on the, on the Kronos, it's a little thinner, I feel. Right. Yeah. They updated the LED buttons, the indicator lights. Mm -hmm. The one on the Kronos only <clears throat> is red, where this one has multiple colors, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah. The these USF are like Mose, it's cyan. When you actually start the game, it's green instead of red. Okay. If you stop the game, it turns red. So, so it's a multicolored LEDs where the originals were just red only. Right. Uh, the same basic body, the type of body is aluminum. The buttons are identical. The yeah. center button is identical to the Chromos. I, I and can then see that. Yeah. The main playing buttons are, it's an old IBM Selectric button. They look a little um, thicker than the Chromos. Same ones. ones. They are? Same button. Sorry, yeah. I just ripped your button off. That's quite all right. It's, it's the same buttons from the IBM Selectric uh, okay. typewriters. Mm -hmm. Not used anymore. But uh, those those buttons are oh that's much. where you know every time I used a Kronos I thought where do I recognize mm -hmm. this button from it's a typewriter button exactly yeah okay. exactly right. and so that's what they have the button so the buttons are identical to the Kronos okay the display is the, the same type of display except larger mm. and of course they programmed the the clock differently mm. um, so I got the clock and uh, I was the one who kept telling Shelby 
back in 2002, I was buying some Kronos's when Kronos, the only color was that extremely interesting uh, beige color. Yeah, like cream like something. Like a baby you thrown up or something. Okay. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Right. And what I would do is I would just always sand that paint off and we spray painted a few clocks black. I so remember I seeing you with some black yes. Kronos. So I had some black Kronos's. And this is before uh, he came out, with, the Kronos fellow came out with them in different colors. Right. So I had the beige. Well, we were, Wayne Zimmerly and I were sanding down my newest uh, inversion. And Wayne said, why don't you just leave it aluminum rather than uh -huh. painting it? So we finished sanding it. And I still have that clock. I, yes, I've seen that. With my that. Blitz set. And that is the original from 2002, Labor Day uh, weekend is when we did it. We just sanded it down and it's just the brushed aluminum. Because so how, how long does it take to sand and repaint a Kronos? We did it over two days or a, a weekend, long weekend. We would sand mm. it down, you know, one afternoon or something, and then, you know, clean it off and maybe put the first coat on and then let it dry, second mm. coat, and then the third day, a third coat. Hmm. But we don't we don't repaint them anymore because now they're all anodized. Right. And, and well, you can get them black. in different colors. Yeah, right. exactly. And this right. instead. So, uh, but that's, yeah, the Kronos. Hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, what we did. And so I kept saying to Shelby, what's really fun is if you just leave it the aluminum color. Yeah. You know, don't get it colored. And he's like, really? I'm like, yes. And I sent him a picture of mine that I had sanded down. And so sure enough, Shelby went back to the manufacturer after they had made uh, a number of these VTEX mm -hmm. uh, 300s and said, let's just do a brushed aluminum. And they actually put a clear coat on it as well. Yeah, I can see that. So mine, like, yeah. mine is just a bare aluminum, my chromos. But all my, I've got now two, um, actually I'm going to have three of the uh, brushed aluminum ones. I've got a couple black ones, and then they came out with a walnut finish on oh. theirs, hmm. but that's a limited, very was a limited edition. So, but it's a very standard clock, and it does the job, which is all I want. And so my my motivation was to have things be perfect. You know, I want the best colors. I like wood, hmm. um, but I like green too. The green, I'm a United States tournament chess player. Mm. I like my green boards. You know? Right, yeah, the green dark square. Yeah. yeah. You go to Europe, you're not going to see those green boards. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, here in the United States, it's the green and buff mm. is the standard. So that's kind of what I've done. Hmm. So one of the questions that I had, and, and maybe you've already answered that, um, but I'm, I'm really curious. You, you said you're on a quest for, let's just call it, chess playing perfection as far as equipment goes. Exactly. Right? Chess playing equipment perfection, yeah. and that has spurred your collectors, mm -hmm. and not really a collector's, um, yeah, a practical collector, let's say. Right. Um, what is, uh, you know, you mentioned you've seen photos of chess sets like on the chess.com forums. Right. Um, you know, you know the Gregor brothers, you know Jonas. What is the most difficult item you've ever wanted, right? So you've seen it and you've thought, that's going to help me achieve my chess player perfection sure, sure. setup. Um, what's the most difficult item you've ever had to go track down or acquire? That's a good question. Well, the sets, there's still a set I would like to get. Mm -hmm. If you look at the chess set used in, I believe, one of the Kasparov World Championship tournaments, mm -hmm. it was a French-made set called a Chavette. Okay. How is okay. that spelled? C-H-A-V-E-T. Okay. Chavette, Chavet, I'm not, I'm not a French pronunciation person. But the Chavette set 
Um, that's the set you see used in the Kasparov. I think it might have been Kasparov Kopov. It was one of the Kasparov championships. Okay. There's a fellow on chess.com that has purchased a few of these. And their sets, they have like letters, they're categorized by letters like B6 or something like that. Mm. And he's got one, and I've seen pictures of it. I want that set. But you just can't find them mm-hmm. because Chavette's no longer making them. And and understand the Chavette French made sets, it's much like the Lardy sets. Which the are what French. sets? Lardy, L-A-R-D-Y. The mm. Lardy set is the set design that all of the USCF... Is it similar to this? Chavette? Chavette? Yes. Uh-huh. Very okay. much so. If you look at the... Um, Plastic sets, the USCF plastic sets, mm-hmm. those are a Lardy design set. Okay. Those are a plastic replica of the original Lardy um, sets made in France. Hmm. And they were cheap sets. They're not expensive per se. They're right. You can still get them for like $70 or $80 for the you know, wooden set, which is quite not expensive. Right. Um, so the Chavette set, I would love the Chavette set. But so I just can't find Chavette it. or Chavet, that's the name of the company? Chavet. Yes, it was a company in France. Okay. And they still make sets, but their newer sets aren't as nice. So these older designs, does the design itself have a name? You know, like the Marshall series, for example, or yeah, obviously you, it wouldn't be that. But. Right. And usually it's it's the loca- the country. Hmm. There well or like there's Hungarian or Austrian sets, the Austrian coffee house sets hmm. are well known. Made um, by Chevet. No, it doesn't in Austria. Okay, okay. You know, there are different sets for hmm. different locations. Um, but Chevet made their, their own sets. So these are Chevet sets. Hmm. And, uh, but I would want the specific one that, you know, this fellow has a copy of because it's so nice. It, it it it's not a copy. He has one of the originals. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But it, it's not extremely old. It's only from the 90s right. or something. Right. Uh, but if, What makes those so hard it. to track down? Is it just the limited number of them that were produced? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. I believe so. Well, it's kind of like trying to buy an original 1849 Jake's set. Mm, right. Sure. You know, yeah. the, how many are out there? That maybe, still exist. Yeah. That that are, you know, in, in usable shape or in decent shape. Mm. And I think there was one uh, expert from the East Coast who says there might be like six sets in the world. Wow. Yes. Wow. And if you want to buy an original Jake set, you're spending upwards of $10,000 for it. Oh, an my gosh. Set. Yes. Wow. Yeah, we're talking real money there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So these che- Chevet or Chevette sets, um, what would they go for, would you estimate? Well, um, if I could, I, maybe $200, $300. Okay. They're if not if you can make, find them. If you can find them. Yeah. You're probably going to get three, you know, have to pay $300 for it. So how do you go about, um, so you've got this item, right, that yeah. is difficult to find. Uh, I mean, obviously, the first place I would think to look is eBay, but are there any, like, Secrets? Are there collector secrets or well, insider I, secrets as to look? There are um, some collectors, like, mm-hmm. for instance, the fellow from Maryland, Mike Lejinski, but there's mm-hmm. also an attorney in New Hampshire who has acquired a really nice collection in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. He's just semi-retired as an attorney now in New Hampshire. Uh, I would contact, I would personally contact them and say, do you know these sets? But they don't really get into the Chavez sets as much. Mm. For instance, the fellow from New Hampshire, what he's really gotten into is a lot of the antique Soviet sets and Russian mm-hmm. sets. And he'll actually buy sets directly from Russia and Soviet Union. And that's the thing that I've noticed in the last probably conservatively five years. It's much easier today for us, to, for me, to buy a set from Slovenia mm. 
or France or India. Right, the internet and the globalism. And I go direct to the manufacturer in India now, and it's actually very inexpensive for someone, a manufacturer in India, to send a set to the United States. Wow. The shipping is... Now, when I want to send it back to India, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. But it's it's these guys are selling sets for eighty dollars with free shipping from India. Wow! Yeah, wooden sets. So, hmm. Come on, how can they do that? Yeah, well, because the shipping is so cheap hmm. uh, to the United States. That's remarkable. Uh huh. So these guys are buying sets, you know, pretty much from Europe, well, Asia, hmm. and uh, you know, Soviet Union, and things of that. And I've got the latest uh, iteration of the Dubrovnik set coming. Uh, they oh, just okay. they just finished. Is this from Noy? From Noy, from Gregor Novak and his mm. brother. Um, they just realized that the set that they have seen pictured with Bobby Fisher was not the original. We knew that already, but it wasn't even uh, the one that you see. I have brought that what they called the Brovik Two. Mm. This was a 1960s version of that set. Okay. Of the 1950s set, the the set that Bobby uh, Fisher was using, they noticed. Hmm. The, the, the pieces, the, the bishop's balls are, are not as thick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's tossing the pieces around. How can you do that? We're con- concerned that the colors could chip mm-hmm. or things like that. Well, they found a set and they realized this was a 1971. Well, rather than call it 1970 or Dubrovnik III, they decided to name it after a tower in, uh, in Slovenia. Mm-hmm. And the tower has been prominent in the last season of Game of Thrones. Oh really? It's called a it's M I N C E T A Mincetta Mincetta. M I N C E T A. So I got to look, I'm looking this up as, yes. you're, as you're talking. So they named the set after the Mincetta Tower, and one of the main differences of this set is the looks are like solid. They're much thicker. Oh wow! So this was used. If I if I can read this, this was used as the. Exterior of the House of Undying in the town of Carth, where Daenerys searches for her stolen dragons. Exactly. That's the Game of Thrones reference. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So it's they named the chess set after this tower. After this tower. Mm. And it's and they've just come out with the first run, and my set's actually arriving tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yes. Cool. Yeah. I'll be interested to see that at club. Yes, you will. Yeah. Is it the same... Um, so you said this is European walnut and dyed European walnut. Right. Is this the same material or? Yes. I, okay. I could have had them make it in uh, walnut, mm-hmm. but instead uh, the, the, the American, it's the European maple. It's oh, the sorry. Maple. European maple. Yeah, okay. European maple, the white pieces, the, the maple is a much more softer, not as brittle wood mm-hmm. and it's much more durable. So I had them make it in the European maple, and then dye the dark pieces brown, as this set is. Right, right. Okay, so this is a dyed brown set, mm. and uh, yeah, and it works well. Nice. But, yeah, so the new one, the rooks are much thicker than the rooks you see here. They're almost mm-hmm. look too fat, the new one's coming. Um, the, yeah, these are quite quite thick already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, these are quite thick already, but the new ones are even thicker. The collars are... Uh, much more durable. They're more rounded. Okay. They're they're not as uh, tapered. Right. And uh, the the knights are very similar, maybe a little different. And the queen is a little shorter mm-hmm. than the existing one. There's some differences, uh, but they've you know made them and motivating me to get another set. And then I'll I'll be carrying that set with me everywhere I go instead of the one that you're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the one that's sort of been your go-to. I feel like I've, I've seen this one been played on a few times. Or right. Something. Well, you've, I think you've seen the Walnut series. And oh, okay. I, okay. I did buy the red one, 
mm-hmm. from them, oh, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. um, because red's my favorite color. And their red is a, it's like a deep burgundy blood red. Yes. Dye. Yeah, I remember the I remember the set. It's yeah. a very nice set. So when they and it's red. just a dye. It's not a specific type of wood. Right, it's a dye. It's the, it's the same European, European maple, maple, and the dark pieces are dyed. And I got the dark pieces dyed brown because they're more durable. I actually had the collars on my, my walnut queen checked. Oh. And I was heartbroken. <laughs> you didn't wrap them in foam. No, I did. Well, they, no, you're right, I did. And uh, But they chipped. And so I actually emailed Gregor saying, well, can I do this? Can you round out the because He goes, no, 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 no. And he said, you know, but we, the maple is more durable. And mm. so that's when I had to make the maple. But I just had to send back the one queen so they could match the wood. And he replaced the queens at no charge. Wow, very nice. So he remade the walnuts, queens, and uh, just sent them to me at no charge. What's a set I purchased? But he was going to do it anyway at no charge. Um, but that's, you know, part of the fun. Right. And so that's why what I have is, is everything is very utilitarian. It's what I, I use to play with. Well, you know, <clears throat> that actually makes a lot of sense because one of the stories that I wanted to tell, <clears throat> excuse me, on the podcast was about our Frisbee golfing. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I sort of view you as like the, the master, you know, like, or the grandmaster, if you will, of equipment, right? Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you have a question about an opening, you know, you go talk to a GM. If you have a question about a chess set, you go talk to Ron. And you're going to know the answer more times than not. Um, so, uh, you know, your, your equipment mastery, it appears to me, extends beyond chess. Um, and, and, and now this utilitarian aspect makes total sense because... If I can tell the story, sure. We went frisbee golfing for the first time a month ago, maybe yeah. about yeah, yeah. Two okay. So I found out you guys like frisbee golf. I used to like frisbee golfing a lot, uh-huh. but I have this really weird throwing style, mm-hmm. right? Where I throw tomahawk instead of like a straight frisbee. Sure. So here I, I've known you, Ron, now probably twenty plus years. Well, yeah, I would say one years. Something a very long time. Yes. And we just go frisbee golfing for the first time a month ago. And the very next day, I wake up to an email from Wayne. Wayne Zimmerly, our local chess club president, right. who also came frisbee golfing with us. Right. And his email just said, Ron, Ron found a specialized tomahawk frisbee. You got to try it out. <laughs> so between, you know, between like Wednesday afternoon or whatever it was uh-huh. and Thursday morning, you had located master of equipment, Ron Suarez, Okay, this Frisbee. Well, you got to understand that Wayne got me involved in disc golf, Frisbee golf, mm. actually about a year ago now. Okay. It was the end of May. Sure. Um, he was had gone down to Southern Illinois where he's from and visiting with his brothers and they were, oh, we're throwing frisbee golf. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he's telling me we're out, you know, play after playing Blitz for an hour and a half, he's driving me home and he's telling me about this disc golf. And I said, well, I used to throw frisbee all the time when I was younger. Right. You know, we play catch and stuff like that. And I thought, I don't know anything about this disc golf. And he said, oh, yeah. And so we went to um, Dick's Sporting Goods and I bought a little starter pack from them. Okay. And so as I would go out once a week with Wayne mm-hmm. at the most, and Wayne being semi-retired went out every day. Right. And he became quite the zealot, the most zealot I've seen Wayne be, mm-hmm. uh, and, and playing throwing disc golf. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a lot of experience when I was younger, just, you know, throwing the disc and was pretty good at snapping it, mm-hmm. which is what you do. And Wayne hadn't figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, 
read up on discs. And the nice thing about disc golf is it's much more simpler as far as the equipment. Yes, <laughs> you know? yeah, I mean, that's true. You've got these discs, you've got those discs, you've got you know, discs for long drives. <laughs> you don't have the 1849 set. Or no, no, you've got the right. discs for Columbia and Biddle, and then you've got discs for putting, you know, that fly straighter. Mm. You and, know, probably like pro disc golf players would be shaking their heads right now. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've heard you know, We've got much more sophisticated equipment. That's anyway. true. It's true. It's true. But at any rate, there. That's how. And I came across a guy that uh, had invented the aerobic disc, which is like a, a little a ring. Mm -hmm. And that was back when the frisbees were out. The aerobic you know, was his little thing, and he yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Well, he invented some discs for disc golf. Mm -hmm. He invented a series of three discs: one for driving, one for mid range, and one for putting. Mm -hmm. And then he came up with this new one. And it's called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the Izzy one. Mm -hmm. And this thing is, he's an engineer, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. This guy, it's not, uh, the rim of the disc is not the same thickness around. So it's, it's disproportionately weighted, right. if you would. So when you throw the disc, it's got some interesting aerodynamics. And what they found, I've watched this on YouTube a few times, there's a few people that have thrown it, that you have to throw it. Tomahawk style. The style I like. The throw. best design for this thing. But these guys get phenomenal distances when they throw far, you know, Tomahawk nice. style, like yeah. 500 feet, you know, wow. stuff like that. Yeah. It's amazing. So, so the reason I bring this up is, you know, I've been disc golfing for a while off and on, yeah. you know, yeah. but it seems like you have like this special knack for equipment. You know, you know exactly where to look, you know, what to look for and how to find it. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, really, like, you know, you, you brought some beautiful chess sets here. This one from a, a group of brothers in uh, Slovenia, you know. Yeah. Um, this is a replica of post-World War II Japan. Um, so I guess I guess my question would be, um, what's the secret? <laughs> how do you how do you find all of this really cool stuff? You know, is it is it just hours Googling or is it getting invested in community? What's wh what do you do? How do you? How do you come up with all of your cool finds, I guess? The cool finds, interesting, invested in community. In 2014, I started going to chess.com, mm -hmm. uh, the books and equipment, chess books and equipment discussion forum. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started seeing a lot of these collectors showing pictures of what they had. And there's a, a, a topic or a thread on this forum totally dedicated to Jake's and reproduction pieces. Okay. And that thing has been going on for years. It's got hundreds of pages to this forum, this topic. And, uh, you know, you see people showing pictures of original Jake's, reproductions, and things of that nature. Hmm. So the most diverse information I've got is from there. Okay. Because there was a fellow, there was a series of sets made by a guy by the name of Herman Steiner hmm. on the West Coast. He was from Los Angeles, and he knew a lot of movie stars and that. But there was a Piotrgorsky Cup back in the 60s. Mm. And uh, Nina Piotrgorsky is the one who ran the, you know, she and her husband, I think. Uh, they ran the cup. And Herman Steiner, they used his pieces. Mm. And a very distinctive style. He had the pieces made in California. Right. And so these guys came out. And a fellow in London, who's an Italian, and runs a company called OfficialStaunton.com. Mm. He went ahead and did a reproduction of the set, but made it much more tournament worthy because mm. uh, the original the kings were five inches tall <laughs> right. it was like oh right yeah that's a little big yeah right but you would see pictures you could see pictures of bobby fisher 
um, Petrosian, and a lot of those guys playing on the set. Hmm, wow. Yeah, from the, from the 60s at the Peter Gorski Cup. Right. And so, boom, here's a guy that comes up with production, and so you know, I get it, and then a couple other companies come up with their reproduction of it. Uh, mm. So that's that's how it comes across. There are some sets that were Spanish sets. Oh, my gosh. In my opinion, I hope I don't offend anyone, but those are the ugliest knights I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there were guys out there going, oh, you got this from Spain. Oh, we can order from this one location in Spain. Is it another like, case of where you can tell the set is from there because of the design of the knight? Oh, yeah. The yeah. knight looks like a bad dog. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. But okay. it, it was a set made, you know, that's originated in Spain. Mm. And it's got the same basic stock design, except this is where you're going to see the differentiation is in the knights. Gotcha. And, oh, my gosh, these knights are ugly. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Uh, so, you know, it's every teach their own. Right. But then you've got the sets made in France. And uh, the this, this Timeless series sets that you see in the DGT boards. Right. That, that little sloped knight, that's called a German knight. Oh, because okay. a lot of German sets were made. And it's a very simplistic cut. It's almost yeah. like they took a bandsaw and went, you know, and they were, I'm sure they didn't use a bandsaw, but it looked that way. Right. And that's a, and that's the Timeless series set you see on all the DDT boards um, in Europe specifically as a Timeless series, which is a German knight. Hmm. Uh, so there are a bunch of sets like that. And different companies sell that design under different right. names. But that's how I found it. And I would see uh, pictures of a set and go, wow, that looks really nice. Hmm. And there are some Soviet sets that, wow, this looks like it could be fun. Hmm. There's a company in India called Chess Bazaar. And they're known for making things quite inexpensively and selling them mm. because they have a direct line to the manufacturer in India. Mm. And so they had some Soviet reproductions and things like that. And so we pick one up mm-hmm. uh, here or there. Chess is not an expensive hobby. Right. Yeah. And I understand that when I first got out of school, optometry school, I was a musician when I was in school. And then I got out, I got into bass fishing. Of all things. <laughs> and I would go that fish. explains the tackle boxes. To exactly. hold, to hold your I would chest go fish sets. bass yeah. tournaments with guys. Hmm. And, then, uh, and then I got into running and swimming, and I did triathlons. Hmm. Well, the bicycles, oh my gosh, you want to put money into something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I recently took up cycling, and it is, uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, running, yeah, just shoes and right. swimming, you know. But uh, that's where I came from. Then my wife came pregnant with our daughter, and I said, you want me to stay in the house more? I've always wanted to play chess, so I took up chess. There you go. And so that's where the finding the most useful equipment has come from. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Very utilitarian approach. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice, and I look at it and say, well, this could be nice, and this would be nice for this situation. Frank Camerata, I I cannot be underestimated as far as his his contributions Mm -hmm. to chess sets, not just in this country, but in the world. Yeah. Um, if you go. To yeah, the, I mean, it's such an iconic House of Stone. Everyone's heard of it. Right. Everyone's heard. But Frank, you know, his his duplicate, like this, this player series that you have. Yeah. That is a Jake's reproduction that yeah. Frank did and had made. And they're beautiful sets. Yes. Yeah. And he had to meet very well. Uh, but there was a set that was made very prevalent in the 1930s in the United States. Might be made by a guy called Pinney, P-A-N-N-E-Y, the Pinney mm-hmm. series set. And they called them the Liberty. Well, sure enough, House of Staunton has their Liberty series set. And that's a set I played with for years, mm-hmm. Blitz, because the sets were like iron. Yeah. Drop them on the floor, who cares? Can't break And they're wood, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and Frank has contributed to many different design sets. There was a set made in England 
by in the 30s by a fellow by the name of B.H. Wood. Mm-hmm. And it's called the B.H. Wood series set. And sure enough, Frank has you know <laughs> a, a replication stock, of that. Has that replication that set. So, Ron, here, here's what I'd like to do, if it's all right with you. Um, first of all, thanks for coming and talking to me. My pleasure. Um, but what I'd really like to do uh, is maybe, um, if you could, let's get a couple of these links up along with the podcast. We'll get some noise. Sure. Um, I'd love to get, if you have any, a, a couple of maybe photos that you're willing to share of some of your more interesting or unique sets. Sure. Um, because I can tell you, you know, Audio, it's hard to convey the, the real mastery of, of these pieces here, but Certainly. these are absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, yes. one of the things to me that I enjoy when I play with the set, and, you know, I've played thousands of tournament games, I, I really enjoy the color, a, a nice color of the piece. Mm-hmm. And um, the ones that I'm seeing here, this one is the Craftsman set, right? Yes, the Craftsman, Craftsman series. series of Blood Rosewood. It's just, uh, it's gorgeous. So, so let's get a couple of these up so people can actually see Sure. The masterful collection of the master collector, Ron Suarez, okay. um, and and uh, maybe even a couple links too. Oh, definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking to me again. Um, My pleasure. Uh, this has been again Ron Suarez, uh, master collector on the Chess Underground. Ron, pleasure. Thank you. I look thank forward you. to uh, tomahawking some throws with you in the <laughs> very near future. But not chess pieces. Well, you never know. It'd be yeah. kind of fun too. <laughs> chess golf. Chess golf. You know, they do like chess aerobics, and I heard underwater chess now. Oh, yeah. You only have enough thinking time as you're underwater, right? However oh, long you can hold your breath to okay. make your move, then yeah. you have to move, and, and then, then go up and get air. Yeah. yeah. So maybe there is a chess golf in your future. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> Thanks again, Ron. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. <laughs>